Now listening to Lost Cast, the Lost Decade Games podcast. Welcome to Lost Cast, episode 213. I'm Matt Hackett. And I'm Jeff Blair. Before I forget, because I will otherwise, I'll be at GDC starting tomorrow. And then for the next tomorrow. three days. Tomorrow, which is going to be a Wednesday. I will be uh, in San Francisco pretty early in the morning. So if you are listening to the podcast and you want to talk to me in real life, oh my God, then uh, I think the best way, you should be an email, mattlostdecadegames.com or a Twitter, a tweet, tweetledeet, uh, at matthacktit. I'll put a link. I'd like to see the Venn diagram of that, like people listening to Lost Cast, people <laughs> who want to meet Matt in person, and people who will actually people be at GDC. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's one guy. Yeah. Like, we've talked before, Lost Cast is the nichiest niche that ever niched. <laughs> it's like, it's not just for people like games, it's also indie, it's also HTML5-ish, maybe some Unity in there, but it's like, who's this yeah. for? Yeah. So, out of the three people, 6,000 listeners now, that's something, right? Yeah. And almost fifty patrons, and uh, out of those, if you know, if you happen to be in San Francisco for those for those few days, I uh, have talked to many Lost Cast listeners in person, uh, maybe dozens at this point, and it is a thrill. I love it. It's like my favorite thing to do <laughs> because they know our story, they know our plight. You know, it's like talking to an old friend that I haven't met yet, which is bizarre. Like I've never had that experience before, and I uh, I enjoy it. Yeah, it's so, pretty cool. Yeah, I really hope someone reaches out and is like, hey. I listened to the podcast yesterday. Let's get together. So, do it. Um, also, there's a Gaming HD interview with yours truly where I draw... draw what am I looking for here? Drone. I drone on for, I don't know, like an hour about uh, various questions from the Gaming HD YouTube channel. Really cool. That was really fun. I enjoyed doing that. Uh, so, if you want to hear me talk even more, which of course you do, I'll put a link to that as well in the show notes. <laughs> which of, of course. <laughs> of course. Uh, you know, you had an interview invitation not that long ago. I did. Uh, I need to follow up with that because it didn't... I said, like, sure, why not? And then I heard nothing, so... Oh. Actually, that is the way to respond to things. You know what I... Like, because I've been reaching out to a lot of people before GDC, um, kind of wanting to plant the seed or just, like, send out an invite, you know? And sure, some people just ignore me or don't respond or whatever, but uh, I think that the busy way, like, a busy person, they will respond to you and say, sure. And they put it all in your court. Right, because they don't right. want to sit there and be like, "I'm too busy to be like, all right, let me look at my calendar. I don't know when, like, who is this person? When are they available? I don't know any of these things. So I'm just gonna say, yeah. And then it's on you, right? Like, you got to be like, um, okay, well, how about you know <laughs> Wednesday at noon or whatever, right? Right. Good strategy for the busy person. Well, it's, I feel like it's, you know, it's the onus is on the person who's like asking for the inviter the time, right? right? Yeah, the person doing the inviting should be like, well, I have plans. Uh, this is the plans. Like, you know, Thursday at four or whatever. Like, come come hang out with me or whatever yes so i don't know anyway networking's hard um i've actually been reading a networking book because i'm kind of traditionally bad at that stuff and it's it's I'm, showing me how bad i am <laughs> really am at that stuff but going to a good, conference though. that's a step in the right direction at least you know i'd almost rather that be the case right like you know sometimes if you're trying to learn to be better at something and you know if you're hearing things you already know but are too hard to do or something it's less beneficial than you know having like an eye-opening like oh i didn't even know that this thing existed exactly yeah and i mean over the last five years you know doing ldg stuff i mean it's seriously been almost constantly that honestly like the just non-stop learning and every time i feel like okay you know what like i can make html5 games i can i can make small ones i can make a little bit bigger ones they're pretty good and i feel pretty confident Right? It's like, okay, well, you're good at that. Now, so move on to something else. How about these 20 things that you did a ridiculous amount of practice doing, you know, from right. marketing to 2D art to 3D art to 3D math? Game design is an endless pit. Like, you'll never be as good as you can be at that. Um, yeah, it is exhausting, but it is uh, also fun, you know, like there's almost always something cool around the corner to learn. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I like software in general. I mean, yeah, specifically game development, but, you know, even just kind of uh, generalized software development, you still have that wide swath of things you could be interested in, you know, database, scalability, user experience, like all that stuff is just, you know, a deep ocean of, uh, of skills to acquire. For sure. Yeah. And I, I love all of it. Like, you know, even outside of games, there's a lot of software that I could work on for just hundreds of hours and have a great time, you know, so definitely not like medical billing software. 
you know like i've worked on stuff before (laughs) i know you have right like i've worked on stuff before where i'm like oh i hate my like okay facebook authentication no that's not that's not what gets me out of bed in the morning you know but there's plenty of other stuff that's outside of games that i enjoy although i have to say when i was working at the medical billing company um I, i found ways to make it fun you know like uh there were challenging problems that uh that i enjoyed solving for sure yeah you're like i found ways to make it fun for example i would play games on my phone <laughs> uh, i would ditch example, work and work on games <laughs> i would play shining force in an emulator <laughs> uh, that's a true story by the way i believe it oh i gotta bring yeah. my dingu so i can play uh nintendo and genesis games nice. on my trip yeah uh also before i forget check this out i know it's been two weeks since we've had because last week we interviewed uh zach bell i'll put a link to that in the show notes check out that interview if you're interested in uh anything from developments to game maker to publishing um two no sorry three new patrons check that out over the last two weeks very cool uh we got calvin welcome new patron we got zane uh welcome welcome and we also have matt a fellow matt i always nice. always like meeting fellow matts i'd also never know if i should say like the first name and last name i feel like maybe it'd be a privacy uh, uh, i think you should yeah say the just first, the first name. name yeah but if you ever uh you know want us to give you another shout out with your full name or your nickname or whatever just give us a shout because uh you're very generous and we really appreciate the patrons so thanks for being here absolutely thank you very much um now i'm going to go into a quick little kind of like um i don't know i'm just going to talk a little bit about the patreon and the podcast so like i don't know give me a few minutes here to talk about because it's a promotional offering right like the podcast it's always been this kind of thing like how do we get people to know about our company and our games and how do we discuss issues we're having and like you know just putting it out there can help other people too you know because you know we might be talking about like entity component systems and how do you do it and so we discuss it and we put it out there and it helps people out so the uh, that's kind of what the podcast is, right? It's like, you know, we used to have this really strong blog. We were updating pretty often, and like that's kind of dead. Like, we haven't posted any um, real blogs in a while on the LDG blog. Um, I'll, I'm going to talk later in the podcast about uh, making an indie game about indie game making, which is a blog I just posted uh, a couple weeks ago on Gama Sutra. Um, but outside of that, like, the podcast is really how we keep in touch with you guys, how we communicate. Um, it's the way that we stay in touch with the community, you know? Yeah. So last I talked about the Patreon, um, I was saying like, oh, when I get to 250, I'll start doing like a Matt Said It podcast every week or month, sorry. Um, and the thing is, like, as I was thinking about like costs a lot, you know, like as as our money depletes, uh, I, I have to think more and more about where to spend the time and stuff, right? And so I look at costs, like what does Lost Cast cost to make, right? And so, you know, the way to do that is what would be charged somebody else, right? Like what would the actual cost be? And so... The range of a podcast from like a one hour solid podcast with at least two people, it's going to be from 200 to $400 just to make that. It really is. Like that's what we would have to charge someone else if they're like, hey, make a podcast for us, you know? So on that note, like the Patreon is making just shy of 250 a month. And so the goal, and I've updated the Patreon to represent this, the goal is $800 a month because at that point it would be on the lower end of paying for the actual podcast because we have four podcasts a month. Each podcast costs $200 and that would get us to 800 bucks. And that got me thinking too about like, okay, well, let's say it pays for itself. What then? Right? Like that'd be fantastic, right? Because then instead of being like, okay, maybe the podcast is kind of a loss leader or it's like a donation of free time to try to, you know, educate people and help people out and maybe get people to know a little bit more about us and our games and what we're doing and stuff like that, right? So what if it did pay for itself? Like what would be the next step, right? And to me, I think the interviews are a big one. The interviews, interviews almost always get more listens and that's just going to make sense because you know the developer we're talking to probably has followers of their own and so they bring in um, more people there it's one of the best ways for us to branch out you know because we talk sometimes too much about ourselves which is understandable because it's just us you know what i mean we talk about navel gazing and we talk about the same topics a lot just because it's going to happen we talk for hundreds of hours with the same two dudes right um and so the interviews are kind of a weird thing because you know, you never know. Like, I, I email lots of developers, and sometimes, like, honestly, I usually get no response. A lot of times, I get, like, just like a no thanks. And then the worst-case scenario is kind of this, like, you know, scenario where I'm dragged around for months. Like, oh, yeah, sounds good, and, like, just kind of uh, doesn't really happen, you know? Which is understandable. Right. I mean, everyone's busy. I mean, that's the whole thing, right? Is like, I've talked to several indies who are working indies, and they're like, look, I just, I just don't have the time, you know? 
And so I think that that's one of the things that a paid podcast could offer is, you know, let's say you get a, you're super, indie, uh, super busy indie, like we were talking about earlier, right? And you want to put the ball in other people's court and you're like, yeah, of course you want to get your name out there and you want to do stuff like a podcast and branch out and talk to people and whatnot, but you just don't have the time. So if I send you an email and I'm like, Hey, you want to be on this podcast? You're like, you know, maybe, but probably not. What if I was like, Hey, I'd pay you. You're like your time will be paid for just like ours is paid for on the podcast. Right. That would be so cool. And I know that we would be able to get more indies and ones that we'd really like to hear from like Derek, you Ryan Clark, uh, Andy Schatz, even maybe Jonathan blow, you know, like I think if it was like, Hey, paid one hour of your time for a podcast for our list, like 6,000 listeners would love to hear from you. You know, I think that would go, um, a really long way so like you know once if the patreon ever got to the point where it was making like 900 bucks a month or something then we would start to have a budget right and i could be like hey there's 100 bucks and i can give you 100 bucks to be on the show to be interviewed mm-hmm. anyway i'm just trying to think about like you know i would like the the podcast to thrive and uh, and do well and stuff um and that's kind of what i would want to do with the monies for one you know it'd be fantastic if we could actually pay for ourselves and then also um expansions kind of like more interviews stuff like that yeah, so. the interviews are always uh, a lot of fun, you know, especially for us because, you know, we get to learn, you know, stuff along the way. Exactly. But, yeah, like you know, we, we ask, voice. like that's our interview style, right? Is we like to ask questions that we want to hear the answers for. We don't really have this cheat sheet, you know, we're not just like, so where are you from and what do you do? Like we cover that stuff, but I like to drill into, hey, this is a thing that interests me or like, hey, I noticed you said this and I didn't really understand that, like, you know, drill into that. Yeah, absolutely. I really like that kind of ad hoc interview style, you know, shoot from the hip, it kind of plays into the conversational nature of lost cast in general right right yeah uh so on that note um i know the rewards are um need some work so i've been thinking about doing stuff like um offering access to our repositories um or like you know we have some mentorship rewards as well and like that's a a a time sink for us uh but like you know if if the money's there then it makes total sense and uh, we actually do have uh, a mentor and i think it's going really well a good value there you know yeah exciting on both ends so um if you have ideas for rewards please send them over and uh, just know that we're gonna be working on uh, that stuff in the future so uh thanks a lot for your patronage thanks for signing up and uh, yeah i just hope that like people can learn from um you know an offering like this like a podcast and uh, like i know other indies they probably do stuff like uh have their own blogs or maybe they hit their twitter really hard or they care about their pinterest page a lot you know and yeah. it's interesting to see like what the benefit is like is it worth the time is it uh is it a you know valuable investment and all that anywho yeah i was kind of wondering you know i think when we were interviewing zach bell he was talking about his patreon and and how he posts like you know sort of like game maker tutorials and that kind of thing right i was wondering if that would be a good avenue for us to do uh, on our patreon as well I think it yeah. would. And here's something to think about is Lost Cast gets no love from me. No no additional time. Every week, um, I will give, like, you know, it gets an hour and a half from us, maybe two hours sometimes of just set up and talking and stuff like that, right? Another couple of hours of uh, editing and actually publishing and distributing it everywhere and blah, 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 blah. But I never sit down and be like, all right, I'm just going to give stuff to the patrons, right? And Or like, here's a bonus episode or like, um, here, like just research ways I can help, uh, give lost cast legs, like find more platforms for it to be at, maybe have a live lost cast at a conference or like GDC or something like that, you know? Uh, and the reason for that is because it is a loss leader, right? Like all the time, uh, spent on the podcast is, is like eaten time. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. the thing. Like if the Patreon was there, um, I would be able to afford to spend more time on it. So that's one of the reasons I think that'd be a, a cool avenue to explore if it can pick up um and that's the thing too like i don't know man like you look at zach bell just a couple of months he's had his patreon up already uh more successful than ours it makes me wonder like what what could i do to give it more life you know yeah don't know don't know but i would love to hear from you so shoot me an email shoot me a tweet uh let me know you know what i what i could do rewards wise or what you're looking for and uh yeah we'll work on it Sounds good to me. Yeah. On that note, uh, another offering I presented recently, um, making an indie game about indie game making. So this is a blog um, I wrote in my style, which is like really long form. Like I I wrote it in Google Docs and it's a 20 page article in there. And a lot of it is uh, images, to be fair. There's a ton of images, but I think that that's good because when I look at Gamma Sutra articles, I I just love the images. What I go for, you know? 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, the meat is is the words, of course, but uh, it really breaks up the text. It makes it easier to digest. And who doesn't love images? I was going to say that, yeah, I appreciate that. Like, looking at a wall of text is hard. It is, yeah. Um, and sometimes all you need is, like, a freaking line break once in a while, you know? Yeah. But I like the style where, like, you know, a paragraph looks like a paragraph. Like, it's only, like, five, six lines uh, at most, you know? And it's a nice little bite-sized thing. Uh, and there yeah. are images littered everywhere. Um, so the article is kind of like a postmortem, I guess. It's like, you know, why did I make this thing? How did I arrive there? I talk about Derek Yu's, um, you know, games I want to make, games I want to have made. The Venn diagram that you were, like you mentioned earlier, right? Yes. Games I'm good at Although, making. Hopefully that's a bigger Venn diagram than the one I was describing. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Uh, so I mentioned that. Um, Doubt is in there yelling at me. Uh or actually, as he does, as he does, he's kind of talking to the audience, really, the reader. He's like, "Oh, this is such a boring article. Why are you reading this?" Right? Uh, <laughs> hopefully, that's entertaining. So, you know, I talked about how I came to wanting to make a game about game development, um, what I wanted to do with it, didn't have time to do, how I ended up getting to the Vault Market, which is a play on uh, Valve uh, and Steam. You know, because um, Vault and Indie Game Sim is really it's Steam, like to a T, basically. Right. Retro downgraded version of Steam. Um, I talk about the original hook, which is uh, doubt and the uh, decisions you make when you're talking to this creature that hates your guts. Um, I post a screenshot from a prototype I didn't finish, which is kind of fun. Um, there's art from a Twitter artist who's really cool. I like her work. And then, uh, oh, there's a sprite from uh, AWL2, which we have still not finished and uh, I have not released yet. So that's kind of a fun. I'm really proud of that sprite. It's, uh, it looks really cool. Yeah. I, I don't say that a lot about my graphics, as you know. Um, I talk about some really personal crap too, like, you know, what the game means to me. And then like, because I launched it on my birthday, I talk about some of my birthday junk, which is, uh, not a fun read, but it lets you know more about me. If you're like, Hey, I want to know more about Matt. Yeah. Uh, If you want to be depressed. (laughs) 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 Yes. Yeah. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. yeah. To the very end too. So if you have the, if the article has been uplifting at the end, you're like, Oh, thanks. Well, that sucks. (laughs) Thanks a lot. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, go check that out. I worked really hard on it. Uh, it's on Gama Sutra. I'm really proud um, of my offerings on Gama Sutra. Every single article I've written has been featured. So every time I post an article on Gama Sutra, I'm like, this is going to be it. This is the one they're not going to feature and I'm going to ruin my streak. Uh, <laughs> but not yet. Uh, and then last but not least, uh, Adventure Lamp uh, developer Ryan Davis made a really heartfelt um, comment, which uh, which I really appreciate. So Nice. Check it out. I put lots I- into it. I have to say, I really enjoy the um, like the breaking of the fourth wall by the doubt character. Oh, good, great! Yeah, I like that. Uh, I like that you've been doing the indie game sim updates on Steam in the same kind of voice. Yes, um, I mean, right. at least there's a voice there. You know, like I found something because you go back and you read updates from my other games, and it's like, hello, generic developer here, blah blah <laughs> blah. Here's some update. Like that's it, and, and you read it, and your eyes glaze over, and the words blur, and you're just bored, right? That's how I write most of the time. And I'm like, instead, you know, here's this demon creature screaming at you about how terrible <laughs> these games are. This update is, <laughs> I think it's more entertaining. You get the graphics, uh, you get some attitude in there. Like, you know, at least it's a personality, you, right? Uh, some personality. Yeah. Yeah. So for better or for worse, hopefully it's at least, you know, uh, a little bit outside the norm. Exactly. Like I know some people aren't going to like it. Some people would probably prefer, I mean, potatoes, just like a straightforward, look, here's the information. And now I'm getting out of your face. Right. Here's a bullet uh, list of all the commit changes. Exactly. Yeah. But that's just not been my style with uh, with IGS. And I've got no regrets. Give it no some regrets. personality. Nice. No regrets. Hashtag. No, I think, I mean, we were talking a couple weeks ago about just, you know, how we think that personality is such an important part of game making these days and really kind of putting your personal stamp on it and having a voice and really just any creative endeavor, right? Yeah. Um, so after I'd started doing that, I read this article from, uh, William Pug. I believe that's how you pronounce his name. He's, uh, the founder of Crows, 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 which I mentioned, maybe I mentioned this in a podcast earlier. Probably, right? But, uh, anyway, one of the co-creators of the Stanley Parable, which is a huge hit of a game and made a ton of money. And he's been talking about spending that money on his new games and stuff. And, uh, I'll see, I'll make a link to this show notes. William Pug's is article but he has this section where like he talks about you know finding your voice and um they have this uh newsletter they're really proud of like a mailing list and 
in the middle of his Gama Sutra article, he has this this part where he's just like screaming and cursing at the audience <laughs> and like PR and marketing people for being so mundane and boring and bland, you know? Huh. And I signed up for their mailing list and it does have personality in it, you know, like whether you like it or not, it's, it is kind of fourth wall breaking and it's like self-deprecating and it's more interesting than 90% of the newsletters I get, you know? And I think that there's uh, there's good advice there. I kind of just don't subscribe to newsletters anymore because I found that more often than not, I just delete them. Yeah. I know that newsletters are crazy popular and some people, they live and breathe by their newsletters, you know, and like people who have thousands of subscribers, like you can really use that. Yeah. I mean, it seems like a tool that can be leveraged effectively, but it's tough. You know, it's kind of a disconnect between what you want as a person and what is, you know desired by the public at large right that's where the disconnect is for me because i don't really subscribe to many newsletters and i don't really like to consume my information that way but i recognize that it's a powerful tool for indies and something we should probably do so that's one of the reasons i've been subscribing to a bunch of newsletters recently is i want to see what other folks are doing um that i can emulate honestly you know looking to borrow ideas because i don't have a lot of my own in this uh capacity we kind of started to do a little bit of that i think we were doing things like um, it was sort of like a recap of Lost Cast episodes and I think we were at the time we were doing YouTube videos and things like that. But yeah. it was kind of like a, you know, here's all the stuff we've talked about or produced over the last month in a newsletter form. Like, you know, here's links to the YouTube videos. Here's a link to the podcasts. Right. Which I guess if we did it monthly, there's like four at least. Yeah. Hmm. But. We were doing that for a little while. Yeah. I think that it's one of those things that you really have to do diligently for probably years, you know? And yeah. it's a frustrating thing because when you use something like MailChimp, you get this, uh, these analytics, right? And so every time you update your mailing list, you can see if people are opening it or clicking it. And every single time, you almost instantly get people unsubscribing. Yeah. Almost <laughs> instantly. And that's a really defeating thing, isn't it? Uh, I don't I don't really see it that way. Hmm. That's um, good. I feel like that's just par for the course, right? Like you're going to get those right off the bat, right? People that don't want to see it, like they signed up for it because, you know, maybe they thought it was good or maybe they just don't <laughs> recognize it the second time through, you know, like, what is this? I don't remember signing up for this delete. Yeah. That was, that was you know, months it, ago. Yeah. It's like, I think it's less of a judgment uh, about, you know, the creators as it is more of like, it probably just means that they realize that they don't really want that in their inbox, you know, kind of <laughs> like I don't want you know, like I, uh, I subscribe to this, uh, the video game lawyer, right? And I think his content is great. It's great, right? Like, you know, there's a lot of complication, you know, legally uh, for game developers and IP and all that stuff, right? Um, and so I thought that that was like, you know, going to be a good newsletter for me. But even though the content of that newsletter was good, I just, it just didn't fit in my, you know, cycle of... <laughs> consuming information right yeah like I, it would just sit in my inbox and i wouldn't read it or i would delete it right away or i just didn't have time you know it was like it just didn't fit for me right and so it's really not a reflection of like you know that being a bad newsletter it's more just you know i don't particularly like it i mean it's like anything else you know if whether you're making games or comics or a blog or pictures whatever you could have a newsletter, you could have a Patreon, you could have a blog, you, you could have a, you know, a podcast if it makes sense, YouTube channel for sure. And, and then it comes down to, you know, there's certain people who like to get newsletters, certain people like to subscribe to blogs, and cer certain people who just consume all their content on Twitter or whatever. So it's yeah. like, you know, the bigger net that you cast, the more, um, more people you're going to catch, which is what you're trying to do. It's like, hey, check out my cool stuff, you know, I've worked hard on this, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's... Uh, resources right like we don't have enough resources and so like i concentrate most of my efforts and to the podcast like that gets far and away most of my time because i could just imagine like let's say i spent four hours plus every week on twitter you know like wow i'd probably be able to build that out a lot um but then like looking at the mailing list analogy right like because every time you shoot out a mailing list mail you get people unsubscribing so imagine if every time you tweeted you get people unfollowing you <laughs> like no <laughs> stop i'm sure it happens actually yeah because like a lot of times that's how i get rid of things on twitter right like i see a tweet at the top of my timeline and i'm like do i really want to be following aws no <laughs> AWS. Right? yeah like, or like you know some person goes on like a, a rant about something you know maybe i followed them because you know i was interested they were like your game dev or something and then they go on some kind of rant that i'm just really not interested in for whatever reason so yeah for sure boom 
Uh, what gets um, me is someone does a retweet storm. And if yes. it fills up several pages, because like, you know, I follow way too many people as it is and I can't keep up. And it's like, I want to maximize, like I want information from lots of people if I can. And then if I got three pages of you in your retweets, like, nope. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> nope. Yeah. Um, something I wanted to mention though about uh, just like the various social channels and stuff is I think that a lot of it just comes down to content, right? It's yeah. like Lost Cast itself is content. So it's sort of easy to sell. But, you know, if you just spent four or six hours on Twitter, I don't think you could really come away with all that much to show for it, right? Because, you know, it requires good content to really get traction, I think, right? Yes, it does. Like, and you you could point to the podcast as a, a content offering, but, you know, those channels typically work better. Like if we had, you know, more blog posts on Patreon, you know, like the, the whole ecosystem needs to be in harmony, I think. Yes. Where it's like, we got the Patreon and you get some benefits and you can also listen to the podcast and here's some dev articles and then, you know, we're automatedly tweeting that and we're putting out a monthly newsletter that kind of consolidates all those various things. Right. Yeah. It's that multiple, um, like avenues of heat, right? Like firing on multiple cannons, that kind of thing. I guess my point is that we shouldn't do a newsletter unless we have like, unless it almost writes itself. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Cause otherwise it's like, yeah, here's a podcast or two. Right. See you next month. There's this uh, this guy Tim Ferriss uh, who wrote uh, the Four Hour Work Week and is uh, makes a bunch of other content. He's got a podcast as well, which is why he, um, popped up in my radar not that long ago. And he's got like a every Friday he'll do like a five bullets, I think it's called. But it's like here's mm-hmm. the five coolest things I found this week. This- yeah, which is awesome. And like I was like, oh man, you know, I'd love that for you know. Here's the five coolest game dev you know articles because I've got like game dev treasure, which I need to update. I'll put a link to that in the show notes, um, where I house my absolute favorite game dev articles and videos. And that's like, I don't take that stuff lightly. These are not just like, oh yeah, I read that. It's pretty good. No, I'm like this, this, I'm like pointing at it, like read it, watch this read, video. Read all of it. Yeah. Uh, but that'd be pretty cool, right? Like maybe we could do that for, for Patreon or something like every Friday you get like, here's the five. Cause like I, I try hard, you know, I'm, I'm reading articles all the time. I, I follow news feeds. I follow a ton of people on Twitter. Like I want to know what cool stuff they're doing. I want to know and uh, it's hard to keep up so yeah maybe there's an outlet for that that'd be cool yeah anywho that's uh, that's one of the hardest things about being indie you know because um we've talked about this before when you branch out on your own you're making your own games you just kind of it's such an overwhelming thing you, you know the tech is overwhelming you the game design you can barely even settle on what genre of game you want to make you know your vision is blurry because you don't know what you're able to make but you can see your game clearly in your mind you think but you can't get there and like you're doing all this struggling and at the end it's like oh you forgot to do a podcast and a youtube and a newsletter and a blog and and you're just you're so exhausted you know like all that stuff can feel uh can feel overwhelming so it's hard to know where to spend your time sometimes it is i think though that you know all things being equal content right like it's the start and end of everything content is I, i'm really on this content kick lately because i feel like <laughs> one of the biggest mistakes we've made with with our games in a lot of ways is like lack of content yeah and or, or making it too hard to create content yeah for ourselves right yeah yeah that was a soul um, thief mistake but it's like that's like such a cliche content is king right but it's so true yeah like the only thing that matters is you know what do you have right like what do you have that i can consume and enjoy yeah and everything else is noise to an extent. Right. Well, at least we have that. There's the podcast every week. Good good content, one hopes. You know, here's hopefully valuable takeaways. Um, and yeah, uh, circling back to the interviews, I think that's one of the surest ways to make sure that, uh, you know, the content you get through Lostcast is fresh and varied and diverse, you know, as, as uh, interviews. So I'd like to increase that in the future. Yeah. Man, so quite a promotional chat there. Um, on that note, you know, one of the, one of the core purposes of Lostcast is to, uh, is to help out other developers and to answer questions and stuff if we can illuminate light on stuff. So, uh, from Andre, once again, such great questions. So many of them. Thanks a lot, um, for all these questions. I'm a fan of under promise and over deliver. Uh, we're a fan of that too. I think that's always good. So, uh, what do we think about this rule? And more specifically, what do we think about making a sexy trailer and screenshots and description for something like a Steam page? Uh, does that kind of go against the rule and s- may set expectations that are too high? So, good question. Um, I think under-promise and over-deliver is the way to do it. I think that's, like, 
that's the early access way. I think any game that you've seen do well in early access does that, right? Yeah. It's just, you know, it's better when, you know, people are pleasantly surprised than unpleasantly disappointed. Yeah. Um, And I think it's the difference between someone feeling like, like, hey, like, I I enjoy what's here and I'm looking forward to more uh, versus, you know, oh, this really isn't what I expected at all. And I think that the trailer question is sort of difficult, right? Because, you know, you don't want to make your trailer more polished than your game in some ways, right? Because I do think that that's a problem, right? And like, Hmm. you've seen that with things like No Man's Sky, right? Yeah, I was going to mention them. Uh, not maybe their trailer specifically, right? But just the vibe they're putting out didn't match up with what the reality of their product was. And like, right. not that it's their fault or whoever, you know, it's just, it just happened to be that way. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think that, that that's, that is a danger, right? Because if you spend too much time polishing your trailer and your screenshots and the, the f- content, right? Again, the content doesn't match the marketing. Uh, I think it leaves a bad taste to people's, you know bad taste in their mouth yeah i think it can too no man's sky is probably the biggest example of that where it promised everything right oh a universe of procedurally generated content you'll never see the same thing and every pixel is you know procedurally generated blah 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 and then you know it ended up being something that dissatisfied a lot of people because they underdelivered in many people's eyes and that kind of hurt them i mean you know runaway success huge smash hit of a game but you know it did upset a lot of people as well so yeah. I think it's hard, though, because, you know, it's not like... I, I don't think they were being fraudulent, you know? I think that no, no. they wanted to deliver the specific vision, but, you know, the execution of said vision is more difficult. Exactly. Right? Yeah. I mean, crap, man. Like, think about trying to make that game, right? It just exa- exhausts yeah. me. Because, <laughs> like, it's hard <laughs> enough for me to make a particularly generated dungeon, like, even one. Yeah. <laughs> it takes a lot out Let of me. Let alone, like, like a, a whole universe. universe. Yeah, forget it. Yeah. Um, so on the note of like screenshots and trailer and s- description and stuff, um, I mean, as long as you're not like <laughs> exaggerating, uh, I think that the description and the screenshots should all be as, as good as you can make them. But the thing about the screenshot and video, like the trailer, especially is that most of it should be from the game. You know, like sc- uh, steam, especially tells you like, make it screenshots from the game. Don't actually just be like, Hey, here's a pretty image. Right. Right. Like your screenshots should actually be screenshots, in which case you shouldn't technically be able to uh, oversell. Right. Because your screenshot is like, look, that is the game. Right. Like maybe it looks prettier in the screenshot than it is animated. Like maybe your animation is really garbage and the screenshots don't convey that, I guess. But, you know, because it really is just like this is what you're getting. Here's a screenshot of of what you'll get when you buy it, which is fine. It should be fine. Yeah. I mean, there's always nuance there, too. Right. Like, um, you could look at the screenshots for, say, a wizard's lizard and be disappointed that there were only three dungeons. But the screenshots might point. not tell you that, right? That's a good point. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not really saying, you know, whatever, here or there, but um, the screenshots alone necessarily don't give you the full story of a game. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Trailer-wise, it's kind of the same story because the best practice... Okay, look, I've, I've made some okayish trailers but i'm not one of these dudes who makes like the best trailer you've seen and gets hired by everybody you know like there's a bunch of those now like i could name maybe like a half dozen i've been bookmarking them and there's a lot of people who make really excellent trailers but the best practices that i've heard are stuff like 60 seconds or less screw your logo go straight into the gameplay like the sooner you can get to the gameplay the better right so if you've got four seconds of like a game by ldg from the makers of a wizard's lizard by jeff blair <laughs> and matt hackett music by like your people are gone they're leaving right right uh so just skip all that stuff and you know the kind of comforting thing about that is it's really just about your game so if you're making a good game and it looks nice and it sounds good and it's got pretty graphics and it, it's fun to play looks fun to play you know just show that in your trailer and that's another one of those instances where technically you shouldn't really be able to oversell it because you're just selling what you're showing like this is the thing that you're getting Right? So what you're saying is it's all about the content. <laughs> Circle it back. Content is king. Content really is king. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much, I guess. I mean, it's all about the game in this case. Like, you know, the right. the page for your game, like the, the promotional material for your game. It really is all about the game because um, I've, we've heard this before too, you know, like y- you can promote the hell out of a, a bad game and it's not going to have the longest legs ever. You know, like a bad game can be a hit game if it's promoted well enough. 
but the reason you find like a hit game is because of these uh, multiple cannons firing, right? You've got a really good game with a really good, you know, promotional story that was marketed really well and it found its audience and that's where a hit game comes from. You know, like if you're missing pieces of that puzzle, you know, like a really, really excellent game that no one's ever heard of or has like a really lousy uh, trailer, you know, like that's not going to help that game. Uh, it's not going to give it lift either, right? Right. It's a hard balance, man. But uh, I would I would say that the underpromise and overdeliver uh, is the way to try to do it. Um, but I wouldn't say that that should hold you back from trying to write the best copy you can and trying to post um, the best screenshots that you find, you know, and making the very best trailer that you can and all that. Right. It's maybe it's like you know headshots for an actor, right? Like <laughs> this is this is the best version of you that you can present. Right. right. Yes. <laughs> Without, it's the, like, it's the selfie know. from up high because we all look yeah. good from because it makes <laughs> yes. us look smaller, right? Yeah. And you can like you have the shadow and you get you give the camera like sexy eyes like oh look how look how good I look in this selfie like you know if you shoot actually I did this thing on Flickr uh, with some of my friends back when I was working at Yahoo we we it was called the Jowl Jamboree. Did I ever tell you about this? <laughs> yes, you might have participated. It might have been around <laughs> that time we were just meeting. Yeah. Uh, so the Jowl Jamboree is you you take your neck. We've all probably got necks, most of us, right? And you. <laughs> I can't actually do it anymore because I've got a beard now. But you scrunch your neck down, you put your chin on your chest, and then you get a camera in there, and you try to get as many jowls as you can. And I call them jowls because it's fun, but, like, basically neck wrinkles. And it's funny. Like, I, I posted one on Flickr, and I look like a mess. I look ridiculous, like I'm melting or something. Um, a couple of my other friends did it. My friend rich posted the best one because he's got like a lot of skin and when he did it he, he looked like this just decapitated head with like feet <laughs> neck wrinkle bubbles like it looked so awful it's like the least flattering way to photograph a person like rich is a good looking guy right but like he looks he looks like some kind of melted gremlin thing in that picture and you don't want to put uh, that on your steam page right like you wouldn't put that he wouldn't put that on his you know like okay keep it profile or whatever right <laughs> you try to make yourself look as good as you can but along the same lines continuing the analogy right you wouldn't want to photoshop your picture and be like oh yeah i'll make my eyes look bigger right, <laughs> right i'll yeah. remove some hair here <laughs> and i'll like i'll add some shadows under my eyes i'll remove that zit like if you start doing stuff like that that's the equivalent of you know you got your screenshot of your game you're gonna go into photoshop you had some lens flare right you had some photo yeah. effects you like oh i'm gonna make it a little uh, a little warmer with the colors like that starts to be cheating and that's when you show up for the date and they're like oh it's you you overpromised and you underdelivered, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, don't do that for your game. I guess that's the only real rule is don't go into Photoshop with your screenshots when you're done. <laughs> don't. Just don't do it. No. Um, I don't know. I feel like some post-processing is fine. I don't know. It's do hard you? to say. Mm, I, I kind of don't. I think you shouldn't no, do it. Nothing? Be- well, I, I, at that point, you're starting to overpromise. That's like, true. hey, I thought there was Photoshop filters in your game. And, you know, maybe you could, like, put a shader in your game or something, right? Post-effect. Right. You could do it, if, unless it's HTML5. Yeah. Well, I guess that's, like, you know, for the video, which is probably the more important part anyway. Yeah. That's a lot more difficult. That's true. I have seen people do that um, with their videos where they will kind of add, if not, like, a, um, a Photoshop filter, then they'll add, like, uh, more shading around the edges to kind of highlight the content in the middle. Uh, and a lot of times people do this where they will take their, uh, you know, gameplay and they, they will rotate the whole screen, right? To kind of, oh, like action-packed stuff is happening. And instead of just shooting the game, they'll like add some screen shake, you know, like in the video only, not in the game, right? right. Rotate the screen, stuff like that. I think that stuff's okay because the trailer needs to have some personality of its own. You know, like hopefully it'll emphasize the personality the game already has. But I think that in the trailer, it's okay to, to add a little bit of fluff there. So, I don't know. It's nice. definitely a great area because, uh, you know, maybe it's okay with the images to some people. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's okay with the videos to some people. Maybe it's not. But, I don't know. It, it very uh, it definitely ranges. It does, yeah. And, uh, you know, we've often talked about how we feel like we don't, like we're not salesman-y enough. You know? Yeah. Like, you know, maybe, you know, maybe a very successful marketer would be like, oh, yeah, always overpromise because that's <laughs> what gets people, you know, to buy the game, right? Right. And it's like, it almost doesn't matter, right? Because... You know, maybe their logic is like, you know, X amount of people will buy it and only Y amount of people will ask for a refund because they're disappointed. And so it's still net money. They play the numbers game, right? Yeah, I mean, that's pretty smart. A lot of people do that to uh, to great success. And uh, it's just not, 
the kind of thing that we excel at. Um, but you know, we probably sell more copies if we spent more time on that. Yeah. So anyway, um, under promise and over deliver. Yeah. Do that. <laughs> yeah. Do that. There you go. <laughs> Uh, okay, next question from Aaron on Twitter. Thanks for the question. I uh, would love to hear you both revisit HTML5 and the state of the ecosystem uh, circa 2017. Uh, with all that hindsight. All that hindsight, which uh, is crystal clear. It's it's 2020. Right. Per- perfect no, hindsight. Tw- tw- 2017, Matt. <laughs> 2017. <laughs> Good one. I liked it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So you had uh, thoughts on this. I don't know if I have that many thoughts. Uh, what, what do you have? It sucks. <laughs> Good talk. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. I mean, I, I like JavaScript and I like HTML5 and I like the web in a lot of ways. And I, I think that it's great. But it's hard not to feel like it's gotten way too complicated and way too divergent. You know, like the standards bodies and stuff like don't really do anything don't really add a whole lot of value, I think, because mm. we still have this very fragmented ecosystem. I think the idea of standards is good, right? But, right. you know, and like, I, I think there's these kinds of like uh, meme jokes going around on Twitter that you probably see sometimes where it's like, you know, making a website in 1994, you know, oh. notepad or whatever, right? Yeah. And then making a website in, you know, some other time period, you know, here's like a code editor. And it's like making a website in 2017. And it's like, install gulp and grunt and babble and yarn and npm and react and redux and angular and whatever else right oh yeah (laughs) like all of these micro frameworks and stuff i I, you know i sort of like the micro framework idea right but it is a lot more complexity to manage right like back in the days when it was just you know hey jquery and then you write some code right yeah but you know, the upside to all that is that we can do a lot more, like web applications can stay, scale a lot better, but the process itself and the tools that which we're using have become way complicated, right? Yeah. Like you have to understand NPM. You have to understand Grunt or Gulp, probably. You might have to understand Babel, TypeScript, you know, and that's just writing JavaScript, right? That doesn't even start touching on things like uh, front-end frameworks or you know, state um, stuff like Angular and Redux and Flux and whatever else, right? Yeah. And, uh, and like, all these things need to be transpiled and, you know, bundled and minified and source mapped and, like, you know, <laughs> it's, uh, it's just, there's a lot going on and I, I think it's tough, right? It, it, it's no longer, I mean, you can get into web development as easily as you always could, right? Mm-hmm just open up a notepad and write some html and some javascript and like ship it right yeah um but to write it at sort of like a more professional level uh it requires tons and tons of stuff these days so you're to kind of be on the cutting edge i think yeah i agree um so you're talking mostly about html5 uh in general right for like software development and obviously web development correct right yeah and i think that the problem only gets worse if you try to frame it as a game development language i mean i know that we've done a lot of games in html5 there's been some pretty successful games in html5 you know uh game dev tycoon yeah first one that comes to mind but there's been others um and i think it's i mean it, it's doable right but as we've seen it's a lot harder and the performance ceiling is lower you know there's a lot of reasons why it doesn't make sense right yeah um if you're talking about the web you know these are sort of the only options that you have right and the fact that they're so complicated and so fragmented and everything else is like just par for the course but you don't have to accept that reality for with game development right right like you can just write your game in you know you know just right you know but <laughs> you, you can just write your game in unity right and yeah. not that it doesn't have its own problems it does i'm sure but like uh it's less complicated than an html5 stack yeah, I remember we were talking about HTML5 not that long ago, and I think I was a little bit more of a fan at the time. I don't know when this was, but uh, even just the basics, because like the way I like to write an HTML5 app is I do start from scratch, and I'll start with the freaking doc type. You know what I mean? I, I only include stuff kind of piecemeal as I need to. Uh, if at all, I write a lot of vanilla JavaScript. The browsers are pretty damned uh, compatible these days, and if you write kind of broad JavaScript, it'll just work everywhere. 
And then the first thing that your first complaint was like, all right, now include a library. And I'm like, oh, well, I'll just do like a script, source, sequels, you know, blah, 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 you know, and, but then it's like, you point out like, okay, now bundle that together. Like you're really going to like, eventually when you get to application level, you're going to need something like Browserify, Require.js and the, each of those, they come with their own problems. Like this one, uh, you're going to need a server or this one only has a command line interface or whatever, but that's the underlying problem, right? Is JavaScript doesn't really have great module dependency Whereas like other languages uh, like C sharp or, you know, Python, Java, like it's way easier to be like, give me the code that I want. And it just works instead of you being like, okay, before I can add more code, I have to add this code to handle the adding of more code, 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 packages, right. packages, right? And that being like the first problem you have to solve right out of the gate uh, can just feel a little clunky. Um, and as you were saying, like that is just kind of par for the course in the web stack, Right, because JavaScript is the scripting language that works in all the browsers. And yeah, there's other things like Dart is picking up speed and there's transcompilers and crap. And, you know, you can write languages other than JavaScript, but your browser is probably going to be interpreting JavaScript, uh, at least for the next few years. Right. Right. And so when you start to go and talk to people about games, because like I talked to a lot of people about games and I'll mention most of my games are made in HTML5. And from the web perspective, they're like, great, JavaScript's fantastic, I understand. From the game perspective, a lot of them are like, what What they hear is, oh, I use Lua, only crappier. So maybe like Python, but worse. So like, what's the worst scripting option you would think of? And they're like, oh, scripting? Like, uh, there's some good ones. Like, Lua's okay. Like, I like Python. JavaScript's probably the worst, <laughs> right? script, maybe. B, what's that vb script maybe vb script yeah because from the game perspective right like most underlying low level stuff is probably written in c and then from there if you want to have scripts which not even all games do you know a lot of times that's a tool for a level designer or a game designer or um just used for certain things certain parts of the game you know like the underlying engine is written in c you know and there's just things that game developers would go to before they would touch JavaScript. So, you know, when you talk about JavaScript to a lot of game developers, they're kind of scratching their heads. Like, why would you go there? You know? Yeah. And to be fair, I think it doesn't necessarily have to do with being a scripting language necessarily. It's just, you know, the ecosystem is difficult, right? Yeah. Um, and, and even high-level languages, like, you know, it doesn't always have to be C++, right? It just, you know, C Sharp, is probably just as good, right? Like, right. what does JavaScript bring to the table that C Sharp doesn't? That's the thing, yeah. I mean, portability, right? The fact that it can run in browsers. That's one of the things that I love about HTML5 and JavaScript and that I still love and probably always will. Um, like, I wrote not that long ago just this quick little game in, like, an hour. It's like the most... It's kind of like that simple HTML5 Canvas game uh, article I wrote forever ago. It's almost like a follow-up to that. Simple HTML5. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, I haven't actually published it yet on my shiny new blog, but um, I will eventually. And the thing that I love about it is, and this is kind of the slant I'm going for with the article, is you want to make your own game? You need a browser and a text editor, which all games have, or sorry, all computers these days have out of the box. You know, even a lot of mobile uh, devices probably, ha I mean, definitely a browser and probably also a text editor. Um, but that's the thing, like any freaking computer, like it would be a hard thing to buy a computer these days. that doesn't come with probably like certainly a web browser and almost certainly also a text editor. And right. because of that, you can just like make your own game, write it from scratch, bam, it runs in your browser. You don't have to worry about like compiling. That's already going to lose some beginners, you know? Um, so I think that's one of the strengths. So it's like the, the ease of it and the portability of it is, is extremely strong. But where does that ease break down, right? Because making games is a very complicated process. And, you know, you could argue that most computers come with Make and or like GCC. GCC, right? yeah. Compilers. Uh, and like you can make the same argument that like, hey, you have a terminal and you have Notepad, like you can write C++ games too, right? Yeah, I mean, Windows, you're going to have less luck there out of the box. And the vast majority of, uh, I would say, just, you know, casual computer users are probably using windows over mac 90 sure. especially in the game gaming o sphere right like 90 percent plus uh but I, you know, that is a valid argument because like a lot of windows computers will come with like um a visual studio or like a, a way to compile things windows way if not right. through the command line right and i feel like that advantage quickly goes away when you start having to get into complicated stuff anyway right like 
if you can't figure out how to compile a C++ application on command line, which, you know, I'm not saying it's the easiest thing in the world, but, you know, given several hours, I'm sure most people could figure it out, right? Yeah. Um, if you can't do that, you're going to have way harder times down the road with game development. That is something right? that we've bumped into a lot is like, you know, even people that we mentor, they'll be, um, they'll get so far along with um, HTML5 and JavaScript and then they'll be like, okay, I got the basics and now I want to go that next step where like I'm more organized, I have folders now, my scripts are in one place, my assets are in another place, you know, and that's where it does start to get a little more complicated and where, you know, a framework that was um, bigger and more complex from the beginning has places for you to do those things already. Whereas in JavaScript, you kind of have to carve that stuff out yourself and a lot of times it can get a little messy. I really, I think for me, the, one of the biggest things that I just cannot stand about JavaScript is that there is no clear, you know, module format separation, yeah. right? Like, yeah, I mentioned that earlier. That's like the first thing you bump into. And that's like, that is, it's right out of the gate for you, right? Because you do write like application level stuff. You are going to need that sooner than later. Yeah. yeah. And like, I mean, you have the Node ecosystem, which, you know, is great. And it has like a pretty consistent module format and has a great way to share packages and stuff. But node is a very specific thing right and it gets more kludgy when you have to use it in the browser or you know there's also like the es6 module format which is not the same as the node.js module format and like you know like i ran into this problem whenever i'm trying to think about how to design like a javascript game engine right i'm like okay i want to write it in like es6 modules because es6 modules have a lot of cool features but I also want it to be an NPM package because people, you know, want to be able to leverage it, install it. And that's probably the best way to distribute JavaScript modules, right? Is NPM. But, you know, you get conflicts there where it's like, okay, well, if you want to write your modules in ES6, the new JavaScript standard, you have to then use Babel to transpile it down to a format that is acceptable to the Node.js, CommonJS format. Yeah. Right. And it's like, and then the person has to use NPM to install your dependencies and like, you know, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's not dissimilar from just something like, you know, CPAN or whatever, probably. Right. Yeah. Um, but it is, there are so much, there's so much going on. Right. And it's like, do you want to use like TypeScript as its own flavor? There's CoffeeScript. They all compile down to JavaScript and there's so many options. You know, I really just wish that there was just you know, like whatever the ES6 module format is defined in the standard. I really wish that that was just the thing. But the problem with JavaScript is that we have these like tantalizing new features, but you can never use them right away, right? You kind of have to wait and use transpilers. And like, maybe some people are fine with it, but you know, when I've made JavaScript, I've been making JavaScript games very recently using like the module dependency format uh, idea and like it's still a pain right like things that depend on the same package like the way npm installs them it, it's very complicated um it's just and i i it just i hate having megabytes and megabytes of tools right mm-hmm. like i've got this little bit of javascript right in comparison and i need you know browserify which depends on all the damn packages in the world or webpack or Babel, like these are huge libraries of code that you know they want you to install and the node ecosystem kind of puts you on this path of like we want you to install all of these dependencies per package right like per game you would have a node modules folder with all of those megabytes and megabytes of code right for sure yeah like they they don't even want you to install these tools globally and like i get that it makes sense right because it kind of keeps the um like kind of the build chain you know decoupled from like this global idea of having uh command line tools installed yeah um so it's 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 flexible in a way but man is it complicated you know it's not just like hey gcc blah 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 dot c or something right right yeah, I remember I added um, OAuth to Indie Game Sim, an earlier version of it, and it required like a hundred dependencies. And like, I bet all that code is more than the entire game I've made, and it just feels like, come on, <laughs> I just want to log in on Twitter. Maybe it's because you know you don't really see that complexity when you're working in a very managed environment like Visual Studio or something, right? Like, maybe it's just because at JavaScript, 
or with JavaScript, this stuff is just so surface level. Like it becomes your problem instead of the IDE hiding it away or something, right? Right. Um, Although I, I, I still do very much feel like the module, like code sharing in JavaScript is abysmal, right? Yeah. Like NPM and Node.js are fine. They, they make it a lot better than it was before, and it's a good step forward, but... It's far from perfect. Far from perfect, right? Like it, the fact that I can't jump into JavaScript and just write, you know, a... <laughs> Like, like, you you can't just write, like, using the newer features, right? You always have to consider what browsers support what. Do I need to transpile? Do I not? Like, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, I mean, to be fair, you know, let's say you just want to make a simple 2D game. Unity can feel bloated, like, too much, right? Because it always yeah. built for 3D, and it has all this stuff, and you could make, like, a triple-A quality 3D game with it. But I just want, like, you know, you're making something like Flappy Bird, or Frogger or something, you know, and it can feel like overkill because you do have all this bloat. So it's kind of hard to get away from um, when you're working on stuff as complicated as games. Right. I, I would I would say, though, that, like, again, I, I kind of go back to the example of, like, well, you can just open up JavaScript and run it in your browser, and, like, that's great, you know. It's great that you can start quickly and kind of get your foot in the door, but it sort of uh, hides away the fact that you're going to get bit later on, right? Yeah, exactly. Like with Unity, you know, when you come across that point in your game where you're like, well, I need to now put it on, uh, you know, some other operating system besides the one I'm on. Right. Uh, you know, the path to get there is easier. I mean, I'm not saying it's like completely mess-free, um, right? But like once you're in JavaScript and you're like, now, hey, I want to put this outside the web browser. Okay. It's harder. Yeah, options. It's harder. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, you do have options, Electron, Node WebKit, and stuff like that, but each of those come with their own set of complexity. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of manual effort involved in making those things happen. For sure, yeah. Um, I feel like I should mention, too, that there are really good game engines like Phaser. Uh, there's online tools like Play Canvas. And, you know, I, I do think that HTML5 gaming overall is kind of plateaued, at least for now. Uh, but we did see some new life in it not that long ago with Facebook. Facebook Instant Games, which both had, um, right out of the gate, had games using Phaser and Play Canvas and uh, some other things written from scratch, I'm sure. Um, stuff like that. So, you know, once in a while, you do see more money and more time and development put into HTML5 games. And, like, because it is so portable and, and you know, you can just pop it up in a chat program or in your web browser or whatever, I don't think they're going to go away. Um, but you will see the popularity, the rising popularity of stuff like the Unity web exporter and stuff like that, right? Right. So it's, uh, you know, it, it's it's a good format. Uh, as we've, you know, we made a Wizard Lizard with it. We made Soul, Soul Thief is being made in it. And then Indie Game Sim is made in it. And it can go a long way and you can definitely get your ideas across and stuff like that. But it comes with its own problems and it's certainly not like a silver bullet. Yeah, I think that my point wasn't that, you know, you shouldn't ever use it. But I do feel like, you know, HTML5, like, if you have a strong foothold in web development, like, it makes a lot of sense. So this is a thought that I've had, too, because, you know, back in 2010, we were just web developers and we wanted to make games. And that became more possible with stuff like Canvas uh, and also hardware acceleration was pretty important, stuff like that, right? Became feasible for the first time. And these days, I'm more like, <clears throat> I don't know, my next game probably won't be in HTML5 JavaScript, right? Like it might be in Unity or something else um, for, for various reasons that we've discussed, right? And the thing is, is like, I'm in a different spot now, you know, because back in 2010, I was like, games, ECS, oh, entity component system, what be that, please, you know, what is a mesh, how to sprite sheet, how make animations, all that stuff. <laughs> it was all brand new to me, you know, and the thing was, is I had a really good grasp of web tech and JavaScript, and because of that, I was limiting my learning, right? Like I didn't have to learn how you create array in JavaScript. I didn't have to, have to learn how you listen to a click event or draw some graphics or any of that kind of crap. Like I, I had most of that down. And so all this new stuff like game design, oh, games need game designs. I hadn't even considered that, you know, those <laughs> kinds of things. I was isolating the problems I had to solve. And these days, 
I have a good grasp of JavaScript and, and game development and HTML5 stacks, stuff like that. And I understand the lingo now, the terminology. I, you know, I know what a mesh is. I, I know a little bit about 3D. I, I know all kinds of things about sprites and animations and ECS and all this good stuff, you know. So it becomes an easier thing for me to be like, you know, I could, like, I have the confidence now, right, to move platforms. Like, I, I am pretty confident I can make a game just about any platform and just be a matter of learning and a matter of time, right? Right. So I think that's a big part of it is because you get all these web developers, uh, like, not surprisingly, a lot of them find us and our podcasts and our blogs and, and stuff like that because they're like, I'm making world-class software for the web, but I'd rather be making games. And, oh, you can actually make pretty damn good games using web tech, so let's do it. You know, and I think that's a great place to start because, like, like I was saying earlier, it just isolates the problems you have to solve, which, you know, as we said at the beginning of the podcast, right, like game development, that's the thing, right, especially indie game development, so much to know, so much to learn. So if you can, you know, limit what you have to comprehend at a given moment, uh, that can be beneficial. So, um, yeah, maybe JavaScript is a good uh, gateway platform. Well, I was going to say that, like, <laughs> you know, along the lines of limiting what you have to learn, right, like if you don't already know JavaScript or HTML5 and have an affinity towards it, then like basically choose something else. Because, you know, we as web developers already had conquered the hurdles of how does JavaScript work and what are the bad parts and what are the good parts and, you know, what do you need to do to get JavaScript code in a modular format? You know, all of those yeah. things. Um, but all of those things are like, I just feel like there's such a distraction if what you really want to do is just make games. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. I still unless, do think that... Wait, unless what? Unless you're making games for the web specifically. For like, the web you know, specifically, like, yeah. Like Facebook Instant Games or just like a um, like onemorelevel.com or something, right? Like just like an online web platform. Right. Then it is. It's uh, nearly native because it's like a web, you know, web games platform. You're making a web game. Boom, there you go. It's it's a pretty good fit, right? I think though that, I mean, here's the thing, right? Is that like a lot of these like Unity and stuff, like they'll export to WebGL. And I know that the WebGL export isn't great, but I feel like it's probably only going to get better. You know, I really do think that JavaScript is sort of becoming this compiled to only type of language, right? And like, mm. uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm interested, to see, interested to see where it goes, but I could absolutely see a world where, you know, it's just, it's like assembly, right? Like most people just don't write it. Right. But they write programs that compile down to it. Yeah. Yeah, it could be. I think so we'll see. Yeah, people who know how to write JavaScript are going to have good jobs for a long time, I think. But uh, you know, it is a, a harder sell in games than it is just with general, um, you know, web web stacks. And so. like, there's a lot of angst about it in the web community, right? Like, there's a lot of people in the web community that really don't like it, but they have to use it. Yeah, that's true. That's where stuff like CoffeeScript comes from, right? Yeah, like TypeScript. I mean, uh, one yeah. of the reasons we have all these, you know. Uh, what's that closure that like yep. compiles Java yeah. uh, bytecode or whatever Java bytecode I guess Um, yeah like all these things are just sort of like trying to fix all JavaScript's failures but the problem is is that they all kind of do it in different ways and they're all not solving the same problem and some of them are interoperable and some aren't it's just it's such a it's such a fragmented ecosystem it's really hard to work with yeah it can be yep Anyways, rant over. Rant over. Yes. Uh, great question. Thanks a lot for that. Um, I think it's about all we got for this week. Look forward to next week. I'm going to talk about the GDC trip. I'll be taking lots of good notes and uh, hopefully maybe even meeting some listeners. That'd be cool. And that's all we got. Thanks for listening. Ship it.
I guess. That's always a strong start, <laughs> I suppose. Whatever. Let's just get this <laughs> if, over with. If we must. That's right. <laughs>